you actually had to experience the challenges that were thrown your way in terms of you know how you developed your leadership and you learned so much you learned so much that was really good but you also learned what wasn't so good and then you built upon that in terms of understanding the sort of things that you personally would do and not do Welcome to the Frontline to Boardroom podcast, where we share the wisdom, knowledge and experience of leaders who've served in the military and then taken those hard-won leadership lessons into the corporate world. Hi, I'm your host, Martin Brooker. Looking forward to sharing with you the stories of their lived experiences, warts and all, from leading men and women in harm's way, all the way to the corporate boardroom and beyond. Let's get started. My guest today is Andrew Baumax, a veteran of over 22 years' service in the Australian Army as an infantry officer. While in the Army, Andrew deployed on operational service with the United Nations in Iran and Iraq and represented the Australian Army in Southeast Asia, the United States and the United Kingdom. He's held a number of command, training and staff appointments and was the inaugural Chief of Army Fellow, being seconded for 12 months to an Asia-Australia Institute, an East Asia-focused think tank. Today, Andrew is the Chief Executive Officer and co-founder of the Noetic Group, a business that Andrew, with his co-founder, have spent the last 20 years growing to be a leading medium professional services company, working with government, national security and defence, as well as emergency services and the resource sector. What I loved about our conversation was the vision that was cast for Noetic all those years ago, and the personal leadership insights taken from his military career into growing a professional services business. Let's get right in. Well, Andrew Baumax, welcome to the Frontline to Boardroom podcast. Great to have you on the show. Thanks very much, Martin. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, well, look, we've spent some time together over the years, but I'm so delighted that you're on the podcast because I guess your military career sort of uh, goes way back and you've been in business for, what, almost 20 years at least. and Just a touch over. Yeah, so look, I just thought it would be fascinating to to explore your own leadership journey, both in the military as well as your time in the Noetic Group. Great. To start with, the question I ask with everybody is, how do you end up joining the military service, or in your case, the Australian Army? Yeah, look, it's a good question, and I pondered around you know, where my interest really commenced. I can actually even recall in my very junior years at school being sort of fascinated about military and military things. And I can even recall being asked this question in grade one by a teacher. So you've got to remember this was, you know, in the 60s, mm-hmm. late 60s. And, you know, I at that stage made the statement, I'd like to be in the military or in the army, mm. which, you know, the teacher was a, a little bit amazed about given what was happening in Vietnam and so forth. But for some reason, I was fascinated with the military. I don't know why. Mm. Yeah. Did you have family in the military or anything like that? No, not, not – well, my father had, you know, fought in the Second World War but mm. was at fought on the Russian front right. with the Latvians. Right. So, you know, as part of the German army. So I had a completely different context of mm. – of the war hmm. to you know many people whose parents had fought on the Allied side. Yeah, yeah, that would be a very different perspective. I have to say, you're probably the first person I've come across that that's been the circumstances. So you joined the army, and that was at 
Was it Duntroon or Portsea? It was Duntroon yeah. in 1980. And mm-hmm. it was an interesting lead up to joining. What really got me excited about joining the military was in 1978, I was involved in a schoolboy trip to Duntroon. Mm-hmm. Absolutely loved it. Okay. I thought this is a boy's own adventure. This is just what I'd really like. And of course, I'd always been involved in outdoor sporting activities. So to me, this just seemed something that was a natural progression. Mm. So who were your leadership heroes, influences growing up? It's a really interesting question. There, I've got to say, I learned a lot from my father in terms of you know, leadership. And in particular, you know, some of the stories that he told around various challenges throughout his life, they weren't necessarily in you know, a formal leadership position, but it was very interesting listening to his stories. There were a few others that I, I reflect on that I was motivated by. I remember in year seven, our school captain at that stage and, and very early on in the year, I remember an incident in the school hall where one of the teachers had leather-soled heels and had come up, made an announcement pre the assembly and was walking out. And, of course, his heels made a noise on the, on the wooden floor and everybody started sort of stamping and so forth, which everybody thought was quite funny. After the assembly, the school captain asked the teachers to leave and held us back to say that that was possibly one of the most disgraceful things he'd ever seen in his life. And I, to me, I thought, wow, that is real leadership, you know, to particularly at that very young age. Now, that person went on to be in the military, as it turned out. All right. But it was fantastic. So the example of leadership, I still remember Ron Barassi mm in the 1970 grand final against Collingwood where Carlton were were down and at half time he turned them round from being 44 points down in a grand final to then actually winning the grand final and I thought wow you know whatever he had said and the way that he had dealt with that team yes to transform that game that's a fantastic example of leadership yeah, yeah. So you passage through the uh, sort of the challenges of Duntroon and uh, military colleges, defence academies are like that, and you get to graduate. What's next stage of your career on graduation as lieutenant in the Army? Look, I, I went to undertake my regimental service, so I went to Townsville to the 1st Battalion hmm. within the infantry, the Royal Australian Regiment. And yeah. That was also a great experience because the first time where you let loose and you're working with soldiers – and you actually had to experience the challenges that were thrown your way in terms of you know how you developed your leadership and you learned so much you learned so much that was really good but you also learned what wasn't so good and then you built upon that in terms of understanding the sort of things that you personally would do and not do yeah and those soldiers or sailors or airmen, whatever it is in early in our career, often are a real test, aren't they? They they really test us as young leaders and they really wake us up to what is the reality of leadership. They certainly do. And I still have very close linkages with a number of those soldiers from my initial platoon. And there was an incident where one of my 
sections was supposed to go out and undertake some physical training along with the other sections. We were actually in Hong at that stage and it was pouring with rain. Anyway, I came back from having been with one of the other sections and here was this section that was hadn't gone. So I remember taking this section and running them along through the rain. And, you know, I was quite taken aback by the fact that the corporal in charge had not, you know, accorded to the directions. And years later, one of the soldiers said to me, at that time, I thought that that was unreasonable, etc. But from a leadership perspective, as he became a sergeant and a warrant officer, he said that was absolutely the right thing to do. So getting some of the affirmation from people that you know and trust over the years around some of those leadership experiences when you were tested Mm. and you hopefully did the right thing. Yeah. Yeah, it goes back to that sort of saying that's become quite famous now, which is actually the stand you walk past is the stand you accept. And that sounds like a classic example of that where if you just let it go, then that would have been somehow the standard that was set for the future. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so looking back on your time as a sort of as a junior officer, are there things you'd wish you'd learnt or uh, sort of knew then that you did you know now? Look, it's a really interesting question. I'm not sure that at the time you actually even realise what you don't know. Mm. I think one of the things about leadership is that you continually learn. You pick things up and you're tested in different ways and in different contexts. So I can't necessarily nail any one particular thing that I thought, I wish I had known that. Mm. It was just around that experience. And, and I, I've, got, I've got to say, I reflect on how our preparation at Duntroon and I thought that was a great melting pot of seeing good leadership and not so good leadership play out and for those that wanted to really take those lessons and apply them you did so over the course of those junior formative years and you learnt and refined further And I think that's the thing. I can't necessarily say, I wish I'd known something. I think we were well prepared. And the thing that I take away was that we were able to continually learn and build on those experiences. Yeah. And it's so important, isn't it, to be able to be present for that leadership lesson, that leadership opportunity, to recognise when things are not going so well or where there's an opportunity to do better. Yeah. You know, it's not perfect. We don't get it right all the time. So, Andrew, you're in the Royal Australian Regiment, the Australian Army, and you get an opportunity to go overseas to the Middle East on operations. Can you tell us a little bit about that role and and what you learned from that experience? That was a really interesting role because I was working with many other nations and what that exposed me to was seeing just how well Australian military personnel are prepared through their training. The importance placed on being a leader, the importance placed on being decisive was one of the things that differentiated us from many other nations. So that was very, very formative. Mm. That's a, an operation that's still ongoing today, isn't it, that one around Lebanon, I'm assuming? No, it was, I was actually in Iran-Iraq. Oh, right. Oh, wow. Which was right on the border, happened at a very, very short notice, and uh, we found ourselves yeah. in theatre within five days. Wow. Wow. 
there's certainly an element of that pucker factor, if I could put it that way, when you're called <laughs> in to do something like that. And, you know, for those that have read history or know that time of, of, of the world when Iran and Iraq were sort of in a challenging arrangement between each other, certainly would be quite interesting. Absolutely. Look, it was, you know, from a leadership perspective, from being able to participate in something so early in my career, hmm. it, huge excitement. Yeah. Just reveled in the experience. Yeah. So you returned to Australia. What was next in your career as an infantry officer? I had the good fortune of being in instructional roles Mm -hmm. within the School of Infantry on two different occasions. One was in relation to specialist weapons and the next time was actually to develop uh, future company and battalion commanders. So that was also really useful from a leadership perspective to be dealing with the upcoming leaders, be able to not only look at their tactical expertise but and develop that, but also to be able to discuss some of the leadership challenges and how, how to deal with those. Mm. In reflection, is there... You know, like one or two things that you say, you know what, actually that's the thing that makes a good infantry officer to be able to lead in those arrangements and dynamics? Look, I think one of the really important things in my mind is that people are able to make decisions. And I think that decisiveness, and that's not shooting from the hip, I think it's about being able to take your context into consideration gather the information, whether it be with subordinates or through other means, and then come to a decision and be able to execute on that decision. And that will mean that you will need to apply a level of flexibility. So one of the things was that, you know, the best laid plans will always go astray. So having that flexibility and being able to recognise those windows of opportunity that you need to take advantage of. Yeah. Yeah, it's that choice, isn't it, when it's all going not so well that, and how you respond to that that actually really matters, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Look, we know it doesn't go well all the time. What were one of the biggest lessons from your time in the service? Was there a particular incident you can think back to that uh, you go, actually, that's where I learned one of my big lessons? It wasn't an incident that necessarily – oh, sorry, that, that occurred to me, but I was um, sent to – the parachute battalion, the third battalion at that stage, because there had been some really bad incidents and a soldier had been drummed out of the unit. And the then Colonel Peter Cosgrove, now Sir Peter Cosgrove, I remember being called in and he said, I want you to go as the adjutant to the third battalion. We've got a problem there. Mm. And so I remember going there and there are many, many stories I could tell about the place that just did not sit well with me and it was a real challenge in leadership to be able to work with other folks to turn the place around, to deal with some of the challenges that had become endemic within the unit. Yeah. And for those that don't know sort of Army battalions and how they operate, the adjutant is a first among equals, isn't he or she? <laughs> and you've kind of got some kind of power that's invested, but but you still it's a lot about influencing your peers, people that you've probably known for many years. 
Yeah, no, look, absolutely. And and being, of course, the adjutant is a captain by rank, but a senior, very senior captain. And so you're often dealing with people who are you know, one rank higher, but you're also answering to the commanding officer. Mm. And the commanding officer will say, well, you know, you need to go and have a talk to one of the company commanders or whatever and sort these issues out. So mm. it then becomes an interesting challenge, even whilst you do know some of the those those folks, there are others that you don't. So you have to be able to deal with them, and that's a, that's a real test of leadership. Yeah. Similarly, you know, dealing with as an outsider coming in, not having been a junior officer in the parachute battalion, you had to deal with this sort of notion of, well, you know, you just arrived. What do you necessarily know? Yeah. So it was certainly a challenging environment, and you know, I, I think we were able to change a lot of the problems. Mm-hmm. that had come to uh, manifest within the unit. Yeah. So, Andrew, your career continues and you end up in some roles in Army headquarters and you make the decision to leave. Can you tell us about the transition and what was behind the decision and, and what were you looking forward to doing? And then how did you actually approach your next steps? The decision to leave was a really hard one. I'd just done more than 20 years in the military. I was in a a great job in Army headquarters looking at the future and, you know, how to move Army forward. And I saw some opportunities outside the military in with a business idea. So coming up with an idea and I thought that I'd really like to progress this. And so I took the leap. And, of course, there was a view that, you know, I shouldn't leave, I should stay, and and there was a lot of counselling, but I left on very good terms. Mm. It wasn't because, you know, I was hugely dissatisfied. I'd had an absolute ball, but it was time for me to go and do other things. And Mm. I suppose, as I said, tongue-in-cheek, you know, build my own empire. Mm -hmm. And so that was really the start of that transition. Mm. Look, the transition, though, is challenging. It's, it's a new world, and certainly it's a different context that you had to find your feet in. And we had a lot of challenges, but a lot of successes along the way. It was how we dealt with the challenges that was really an interesting mm. aspect of, well, leadership, if you like, of moving to where we are now. Yeah. And one of the people that's been on that journey for a large part of that is, uh, am I right in saying, Peter Murphy? I mean, you've been yes. partners in business. You've worked together for many, many years. You know, partnerships in business, what, what do you think has been the strength for, what has kept that partnership so strong over the time that you've been together in business? That's a great question because lots of partnerships don't remain intact over the course of, you know, over 20 years now in business. I think one of the things that we learned very early on was that we had to be able to, as we grow, separate our relative responsibilities from being owners of a business to being employees within the business to being directors of the business. And they all had different responsibilities. We would also review our personal ambitions and drivers every year Mm -hmm. and so as a result that prepared us really well for ensuring that we had a foundation of honesty that allowed us to make sure that we plotted the right course Mm. 
Yeah. And I guess the uh, the testimony on, uh, is in the fact that that business has been going strong and has grown continually over the years. What's the kind of work that you've been doing in this Novetic Group since you uh, since you left the army, and maybe even thinking about what you did when you started to what you actually do now? Yeah. So really, we we started off very much at the strategic consulting end, looking at uh, organisational issues. Now, the very good idea that transitioned us to that was around helping army and then defence with its uh, military doctrine. Mm. And army wasn't in a particularly great state, and somebody once made the statement that look maybe we should just outsource this you know get some get some folks to come in help us and we thought well that's a pretty good opportunity so that was where we started but we soon realized we knew nothing about consulting and we got expertise in to develop our understanding through an advisory board that that assisted us to grow and we learned a lot about business and there was a lot of people who helped us in those early days but Business then evolved into the sort of strategic consulting and advisory aspects and has further then developed as we've grown to allow us to undertake the sort of transformation change management projects that you would normally associate with a much larger organisation. And that last transition has happened in about the last seven years. Mm. So we have... If you like, you know, we are a professional services firm that really focuses on both advisory and consulting. And to be fair, we've really looked at the government sector more so than the private sector. Hmm. But it's taken you to some really interesting places, isn't it? From from two guys who had a military background to sort of something that's quite different, isn't it? I mean, because your sweet spot has not just been defence or national security, it's gone into many other areas and you know, into risk management and a whole bunch of stuff, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It has taken us to a range of areas and and that's been challenging. But one of the things that the military has taught us was you know, how to deal with people and organisations are composed of people. And for you to be able to interact effectively and to be you know, honest with them in terms of some of the challenges that they're dealing with and to convey that in a way that they can appreciate what you're saying and what you might be recommending Mm. goes a long way. And they're skills that were learnt in dealing with the sorts of situations we've talked about in the military. Mm. Mm. Certainly growing as well, as you mentioned, from two people, we we are within the Noetic, just over 100 people now. We've had all sorts of challenges along the way. We've dealt with people who we knew very well to then growing people from a variety of different backgrounds that now come in as uh, graduates and you know will will progress throughout the organisation. So, and of course, the last thing that has happened to us strategically was that the majority acquisition by the now Atura Group and publicly listing brings some additional leadership challenges Mm. in dealing with a much larger organisation with a group CEO and a board that has responsibilities through, you know, to the public shareholders. Yeah. So when you grow a business and scale it from two to a hundred over, you know, a few years, but are there some principles there, a couple of key points where you go, actually, these are the foundations which we've, continue to come back to that we've continued to build on that have 
that have helped us achieve the success with people that want to even sort of come back to your business after having left some time previously? Yeah, look, I think there are some things here. I mentioned the importance about acting decisively. Bad news doesn't age well. So whether it's dealing with a particular weak signal that comes out of a project and dealing with our clients, or whether it's something around the financial performance and things aren't going as well as would otherwise, you know, you need to jump onto this and you need to jump onto it very quickly. Yeah, hope is not a strategy. You need to take control of the situation as difficult as that is. Other things, you know, I I think are really important is to do what you say, to deliver on the promise and those statements that you make to your staff. Hmm. Obviously, you want to deal with your staff in a, I've always had a, a firm, fair and friendly manner. So that you don't leave anything, any doubt in people's minds around what your expectations are of them Mm. and that you can therefore hold them to account against those expectations. Yeah. Yeah, it's sort of really important, isn't it, to be clear and for people to understand that, hey, here is the standard or this is the this is where we're going. Yeah. You know, if they if we're not clear about that, then uh, people will be confused and, and they won't know where to apply the effort. The business has grown and there's 100 people plus there now. And I think you've seen some people come and go, haven't you? Sort of those that maybe were part of the business early and then have gone away and learnt other things and come back. I, I think that says a lot about the culture that's been created in Novetic. Yeah, look, we've been very fortunate. <laughs> One of the things I, was, I don't necessarily like to lose our graduates. I'm of the view that they need to move on. They need to experience other organizations and other aspects of their professional and personal lives for them to build on those experiences the and if i was in their position i'd be doing exactly the same but what i do want them to do is to come back at a later stage and we've had a number of people who've come back in fact one of my general managers left as a senior consultant and then came back in as a principal consultant and and is now a general manager. So it's great to have people who've been out there, experienced different things, to come back and to be able to share that within the organisation. And the organisation's richer about that. Yeah, yeah. And they wouldn't come back if it wasn't a good place to work for sure. What advice would you give to leaders today? You know, what do they need to pay more attention to, do you think? Look, I just come back to what I said earlier about being decisive. But there's a point there about being decisive. You need to be respected and don't try to be popular. One of the things I reflect back on my military, early military days and when I was at Duntroon, and these were uh, sergeants and warrant officers who said, look, you know, don't make the mistake out of going out there and trying to be friends. Mm-hmm. You can be friendly, but these are not your friends. Friendships are earned over time. Mm. What everybody expects out of you as a leader is to do your job. And the best thing that you can do is to earn their respect. So I think that that's really important is that be respected. Don't make the mistake of trying to be popular. Mm. And part of that is by being able to make those hard decisions and people will thank you for those down the track. Yes. 
Yeah. It's when you don't make the hard decisions and they snowball into larger problems that you get yourself into a whole bunch of hot water. Mm. I'd also think that in doing that, any young leader, any emerging leader needs to be genuine, therefore. They need to be themselves. You can't say, well, here's my hero, I'm going to be like this person. Mm. doesn't work that way. You've got to reflect on that, but you've got to actually apply it within your own skin. Yeah, and that goes to that, I guess, that value of which I think is so important in leadership, which is integrity. You've got to be integrity with who you are, don't you, at the end of the day? Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the resources that you find yourself tapping into nowadays to help you think about leadership or think about how you develop the culture in your business? One of the best resources are my people Mm -hmm. and to ask them around some of their ideas, some of their challenges that they're experiencing and then to say, well, how might we deal with this? Mm. What might be the things that you would expect Mm. a leadership group to do? Mm. I also draw on external resources that have no skin in the game with regards to our organisation. And for a number of years, I've uh, engaged an organisational psychologist to do an assessment of each of our senior leaders and also to run learning hubs for our people where aspects around leadership and culture are brought to the table Mm. and then conveyed back to the leadership group Mm. to be able to address, if you like, if there is a need to address them or reinforce them if they're good things. Yeah. It's very easy, isn't it, to get busy as a a leader, a CEO of a business and forget to look in the mirror or forget to have somebody hold the mirror up in front of you to show exactly what's going on. And I love the fact that one of your best resources is asking your people. And it seems so obvious when you say it, but I don't know that it's everybody's choice first up. So I uh, really appreciate that. Andrew, it's been great to have you on the podcast. Is there a question I haven't asked that you think I should or that you'd like to answer now? Look, it may be not a question, but, you know, once you know, I used to talk a little bit about leadership um, within, um, as I mentioned, the, doing the training for the company commanders and future battalion commanders. And I remember... We were talking about leadership and somebody had their pen and paper out and I said, stop. I said, put your pen and paper away. Mm. Leadership is a verb, not a noun. Yes. You need to think about doing things, not writing down you know, what somebody else has done. Reflect on what this means for you and in your context. Yeah. So I think, you know, that's a great place to sort of, I suppose, leave it is that, you know, I always look at leadership being a verb, not a noun. Yeah, that is such great advice. It's been fantastic to have you on the podcast. We're going to finish up with the rapid-fire questions. As I say to people, that necessarily need to be a rapid-fire answer. But if you could fill in the blank to the following, leadership is blank. A verb, not a noun, yep. Right, yes, of course. <laughs> and do you have a go-to book on leadership? Knowing you, you've probably got more than one. Look, I don't actually. It's really interesting. I thought about this and I reflected on reading whether it's leadership books, management books, and even novels. 
even in novels, you, there'll be things that you'll go like, wow, that's good leadership. And what I, I look at are those snippets and go, oh, I reflect on that and go like, yeah, okay, what does that mean? How would I learn from that? So I can't say I have a go-to book. Yeah. But what I did hear was the fact that whatever you're reading, whatever you're taking in is like you're focusing on that and reflecting, which I think is a great approach. Next question, which I'd known blank earlier in my career. As I mentioned earlier, I can't really put myself, my finger on anything in that regard. Yeah. I think it, leadership is something that continually evolves with you. Mm-hmm. So there's not one thing, it's about learning. So I can't actually put my hand on, on anything concrete yeah. except to say, yeah, I'm still learning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's it. Maybe I wish I'd learned. Well, you don't need to know it. You've just obviously <laughs> the example of, of learning continuously. You get a call from a team member, crisis just erupted in, in your company. What are your first words to that person? Thank you for letting me know. Okay, fantastic. And lastly, is there a go-to quote on leadership for you that's had influence on you? There is, and it it comes from the film Wall Street and the words of wisdom that were provided to Charlie Sheen. Man looks in the abyss, there's nothing staring back at him. At that moment, man finds his character, and that is what keeps him out of the abyss. Yeah, wow. Wow. Wow, that's actually worth reflecting on. (laughs) (laughs) Andrew, look, it's been great to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for giving up your valuable time. We certainly appreciate that. And just, yeah, thank you and look forward to catching up sometime soon. Thanks very much, Martin, and great to talk to you. Okay, cheers, mate. Cheers. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Frontline to Boardroom. So grateful that you could be with us. For more on how you can step up to leadership every day, be sure to visit us at martinbrooker.com where you can subscribe to the show to be notified every time an episode drops. And if you found value in this episode, we'd love it if you'd share it with a friend. Looking forward to being here with you next week. And remember, sometimes you need to drive it like you stole it.